the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland here along with Bert Harper, and you are listening to the American Family Radio Network, and we are continuing our study in the book of Proverbs, the Old Testament book of Proverbs, which, uh, Bert, this is the book of wisdom, and I'm telling you, uh, I've read through Proverbs many times, but in the couple of weeks that you and I have been beginning this study, I am thoroughly falling in love with the book of Proverbs all over again. Well, I join you in that, and I'm telling you, it's happened again. I read it again, and I see something new that I didn't see before. That is the value of the Word, all the Word of God, but in Proverbs, there's so much there. But today, before we jump into Proverbs about wisdom, uh, we've got a two guests here that's going to help us to understand some issues that we face, uh, especially couples face and where we're at because of Roe v. Wade being mm-hmm. overturned and where that leaves. So we're excited about Kendra White and Ann Cockrell being with us today. Welcome, ladies. Thank you all Thank for having you. us on. Good now, to hear. Oh, now let me do, let me have one disclaimer with Ann over here. I said, "Lady, I I, I still want to call her girl." Now, <laughs> that is not defamatory anything, because no. I've known her most of her life. Mm. So since uh, I was like two. Yeah, oh man, <laughs> that's how long it's been. And so, but they host like we do. They're co-host of Hannah's Heart. And uh, how long has Hannah's heart been going now? Two years or three? Well, no, not, not that long yet, but uh, we're over a year. It was a year in year. October. Oh, yeah. man. Mm. And it, let me get this out. You need to hear it. It's great. They do a great job. It airs every Saturday at 5 p.m. Central Time. That's right. And uh, these two ladies have such a heart for God, and they translate that in the heart for those that are struggling with infertility. So that's what we want to talk about today, ladies. We were honored, by the way, to have Mr. Alex McFarland on Hannah's Heart um, last year to answer a very difficult biblical question. Amen. So we brought well, in the best that we know. Yeah, did, we, did he do okay? He nailed it. Man. It, <laughs> it was the question of do we know where babies go after they die that's for those good. that have struggled yeah. with miscarriage? And man, like... He, he brought the word to that, some passages I'd never thought or Alex, thought we've had that question quite a bit on mm-hmm. exploring the word in the last 11 years, Prepared several you. times, yeah. We really have, and uh, Kendra and Ann, I just want to say welcome welcome back to Exploring the Word, and thank you for the way that you minister to listeners all over North America. And uh, so, so tell us about Hannah's heart, and, and also I would love you all's um, response last year. Those of us that are pro-life, like we all are, I mean, it was a great victory, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, but what are some of the news items that are worth talking about that have come along in the aftermath of the reversal of the Roe versus Wade decision? Well, Ann, you're the first one that mentioned this connection to me, <laughs> so why don't you start? Well, to be honest, I didn't know that there was a connection at first. We were, I was actually at home, still on maternity leave, I mm-hmm. think. I know I was at home. I was working from home that day, and I hear the news about Roe v. Wade being overturned, and it brought me to tears Mm -hmm. being so excited. It's just been something on my heart since I think I was eight years old when I Mm -hmm. wrote a letter to President Bush about this issue. I love it. Um, And so for it to be overturned, I just was so joyful in that. And then all of a sudden, we start getting emails and Facebook messages from uh, people who listen to our show and asking how we could celebrate in this because of what it will do to IVF and the possibilities with not being able to have IVF treatments anymore. And so I called Kendra and I was like, I'm really confused what these people are talking what, like, about what is right even now. The connection? <laughs> yeah. Tell me something that I'm missing here. And she was like, I don't, I don't know. What are you talking about? And I was like, I don't know. And so, um, in my opinion, there's not a connection from what we can see, but it has definitely been made. We call it at what he also big a part, red like, herring, a red herring, yeah. fear mongering, yeah, mon- scare tactics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's make sure everybody knows IVF. Mm-hmm. What does oh, it sorry. stand for? In vitro mm-hmm. fertilization. Exactly. Yes. And so when you do that and you see that, because 
I remember, Alex, in Mississippi many years ago that that was an issue, and they connected it then when we were trying to. Yes, they did. And it was fear-mongering. They got out. Oh, this will cause uh, that not to be possible. And so, yeah, it's a... There's nothing new under the sun, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. Right. So, right. Alex, uh, it was that time. So, and y'all, y'all done some research on that, far as you know, and there's no connection. Yeah. So there is a connection in that the IVF process um, deals with the creation of life, and yes. a very important topic that I think does need to be discussed in the the pro life issue, which is. I believe there's a lot of need for reform in how fertility treatments are done. So currently, Roe v. Wade has done nothing to actually change the law. That has been used as a scare tactic. But what it has made people realize is that there are, um, as of 2020, there were over 600,000 frozen embryos in storage. Mm. Um, Now, Now I think... Yeah, what is it? Close to a million. Close to a million. So ridiculous numbers. And let's just define what is a frozen embryo. That is a human life that's created in the image of God that's been paused and not given the chance to continue developing. So if you begin that life begins at conception, even if that happens in a Petri dish, that is life. Um, So these lives, um, now people are asking, okay, well, if our state is making rules to change and to define when life begins, will those protections extend to these frozen embryos? And do you want to tell them about the, um, how it's treated as property in the Right, the clinic you told me about that power went off. something that I didn't know about. We actually had a lady, Brother Bert, you know of this lady, Miss Marlene. Um, she told me a story that, that we actually had a facility here in America that lost power. And there were thousands of embryos that were lost in that. And so, but then it's like, okay, our charges made because that's life or we're, we're viewing these embryos as property. Is and, it considered manslaughter if right. you're, mm. you know, and flushing them down the toilet? Right. But see, that's not been considered manslaughter. But mm. now we're all of a sudden they're using that against Roe v. Wade of being overturned because now they could get charged with manslaughter. But this whole time when these embryos aren't being used for anything else. Now, technically, none of these states have rules, as far as I know, that would extend to limit IVF in any way. But it it does raise a question for Christians. Is IVF consistent with a biblical worldview? I See, that that was going to be my question. That it, and this is really great. And by the way, folks, if you're just tuning in to exploring the word right now, we're talking with Kendra White and Ann Cockrell of Hannah's Heart, which is a great show that airs on the American Family Radio Network Saturdays at five. So uh, I'm glad we're getting to this question. Really, what should a couple, especially a, a, a childless couple, from a biblical worldview view? about um, in vitro fertilization, adoption. What, uh, Ladies, what do you believe is the thoroughly biblical position on this? Well, first of all, I think we have to all agree that no matter what God's calling is for your family, if life is created and it's in the image of God, it should not be destroyed. Um, mm. What typically, the typical protocol for IVF um, IVF actually started, I think the first one was in 1978. Um, and uh, they went in and they got one egg from a woman and they fertilized it with sperm and they implanted it back into her. And nine months later, the first IVF baby was born. What happened later um, was that they realized that, wow, if we start giving this mom more um, medicine, clomid. Yes, more, more medicine, then it's going to produce more eggs. And then we can fertilize more of those eggs and we have more chances while we go in. So they viewed this as statistics and chances. So what would happen often nowadays, we've, it's come from, from there to now many women will go, they might collect 20 eggs. Then they might fertilize um, them and maybe let's say 12 to 15 of them fertilize. Then the family goes and they transfer um, two embryos and they, they get pregnant. They have twins. Wow. They go back a year and a half later. They do it again. They have another baby. Yay. Then maybe um, a, a, an oops comes along the way. They didn't even know they could conceive and another child. Now they have four children, but they still have what? 12, right. <laughs> you know, 10 to 12 frozen embryos left in the right. freezer. So this problem I think comes not just how is life being created. Um, and I know many Christians do have differences. Uh, you know, the question is always like, 
um, how much is man's involvement with us taking things into our own hands. I personally do believe that um, it is perfectly okay to seek medical um, help if you're trying to conceive to grow your family, as long as it's that that medical help is done in a way that's consistent with scripture. So uh, these, these families have these leftover embryos and they're like, what do we do with them? There's three options. They can discard them. That to me is the same as abortion. Um, It's not happening in the womb, but that is a life. Number two, they can donate them to science. That is the same as killing that life. Thou shall not murder, says scripture. The third option um, is they they, sometimes, this is not a permanent option, but they'll keep them in storage and they'll continue to pay a fee. Um, A hefty fee. A hefty fee. Year after year, it can only go on for so long. And these these facilities are overrun with frozen embryos. So there are now places that um, are working to help them be adopted by families right. that want the chance to, to have them. So in answer to your question too, I believe that IVF is um, consistent with a biblical worldview. The typical protocol, um, I think not. If you are creating more lives than you have, or even the potential of more lives than you plan to give a chance to <laughs> raise in your home, I would say no. Now, that being said, there are new options as technology continues to improve that I had never heard of. So there's something called um, natural cycle IVF, which actually that's the very first IVF where they took one egg and one sperm. And there are ways that you can do IVF um, where you're not creating an excess number or you're like... That would be the biblical responsibility. Right. Modern medicine brings on a lot of questions concerning the end of life. Like someone is living on a machine, Mm -hmm. how long? And and as pastor, Mm. I've had to deal with with parents with their child. There's no brain activity, but they're breathing. What do you do? And so that is a difficult task, and and it's true. But... Uh, Alex, let me say, I think Kendra and Ann has laid out the responsible Christian method. Yes, it's good, Amen. but not too many at one mm-hmm. time. Right. Get the one or two yes. right. so they can do two. They could have twins, right. but it's irresponsible to do the other. Would, mm-hmm. you, would you agree well, with that, Alex? And, uh, absolutely, and, and you all have said it, that our, our technological abilities have outpaced mm-hmm. our moral sensibilities, haven't yeah. they? Really have. Ladies, thank y'all for being with us today. Yeah, Hannah's you. Heart. Hannah's Heart. Five o'clock Saturday Central Time. Now you can figure that out Eastern Time, can't you, Alex? Now <laughs> do the Absolutely. math. <laughs> yes. Okay. 6 p.m. Well, bless you, and we're going to come right back with more of Exploring the Word on today's edition of the program. Stay with us. Proverbs six plus your calls and Bible questions. Don't go away. We're back after this. In this season of giving, you can be the answer to their prayer today. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and since Labor Day, we've been working toward a goal of putting God's Word into the hands and hearts of 16,000 Bibleist believers around the world. Here's a few that are praying for a Bible. Ahmed is a former Muslim beaten by extremists when he came to faith in Christ. He's praying for a Bible. Miriam is a widowed mother of three in Mozambique, Africa. Very sadly, her husband was killed by the Boko Haram regime, but she's praying for a Bible. Carla was a follower of pagan practices in Venezuela. He's praying for a Bible now as a Christ follower. And then Washi and her husband are livestock farmers in China. They want to raise their children to know and love Jesus. They're praying for a Bible. Listen, to date, you've put 10,000 Bibles into the hands of Bibleist believers. We'd love to see another 6,000 by the end of the year. So please, at $5 a Bible, would you make your most generous gift by calling 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Dr. Tony Evans says fearing God is about more than just being afraid of Him. So how can you tell if you're really doing it? We'll find out today as we spend two minutes with Tony. How do you know if you fear God? How do you know that? How do you know you're not just talking smack? How do you know you're not just talking a good game? How do you know that this thing is real? and not just religious conversation and Christianese. You fear God with your feet, not with your feelings. You fear God with your movement, not just with your mouth. You fear God with your life, not merely your lips, with your walk, not merely your talk. If you wanna know if you fear God, see which way your feet are moving. And if the footsteps are not in concert with what he says, 
the assumption is you do not fear him, you're talking noise. Sounds good. You can come across as spiritual, but God is looking at the foot movement. You're pursuing a relationship and you're submitting to a rule under his kingdom, covenant, and authority. If you do those two things proven by your walk, not by your talk, then you have positioned yourself in the place of favor. God is not against blessing. He's not against favor. He is against blessing and favor that's independent of relationship and obedience. He says, if you walk in my way, if you execute my will according to my word, then you'll see me show up. Learn how to manage your life and your resources the way God intended. Check out Tony's CD series, Kingdom Stewardship, available at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. This is Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. What does a proud look, a lion tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, and a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren? What do they have in common? They are the ones that says, these six things God hates, yes, seven are abomination to him. Again, this is Bertie and Alex back with you on Exploring the Word, and we're in Proverbs 6. And Proverbs 6 is quite a lengthy proverb, but it has to do with laziness. It has to do with the mishandling of money. It has to do with uh, immorality. And so here it starts, my son, don't be fooled. He says it again. My son, in verse 29, keep the commandments of your father don't forsake the law of your mother. If you're wise, Alex, you're going to follow that good advice, aren't you? Well, that's true. That's true, Bert. It's good to be back with you and everybody listening uh, as we go into Proverbs 6. Uh, the first five verses talk about uh, making a promise that really is maybe a little bit of a reckless promise. Bert, growing up, I always heard the phrase, uh, let, your, let your word be your bond. You know, And it is good to, to stand by your word. But uh, it talks about this word, my son, if you become surety for your friend. Um, you don't hear this phrase too much anymore, but Bert, did you ever hear of like back in the day people would say, well, they, quote, signed somebody's note, right. uh, meaning uh, that if somebody borrows money or makes a commitment, uh, you'll back them up, and if they can't fulfill, you will. And, you know, it's just, it goes, and it says, plead with your friend. Uh, um, you know, I, definitely we're to keep our word, we're to be forthright and people of truth, but we need, on the front side, to be very prayerful and judicious about the promises to which we commit. It is, and in the financial area, this is what it's talking about, and uh, it's unwise. Do you ever do it? Is it a sin to do so? to sign a surety note for someone, even if it's your child. You know, I, I get those questions all of the time. What about that, that you go on and you're the guarantor for that? If they can't pay, you pay. Uh, it's best not to. I guarantee you that I would not do it. I have, If it's done, it would be that of, I, I would say, those that you may have the possibility of an inheritance to, and you may give it early, Alex, uh, what about that? How about the issue of children and you becoming you that know, person that it's called co-signing? Co-signing uh, yeah. somebody's loan. Yes, um, yes. You know, Bert, and I'm only speaking for Alex here, but um, I don't recommend it. And I will tell you, in, in 30 years of being in the ministry, um, I've counseled at least two families where, I mean, it was a major blow-up. And uh, I'll just say this, it was one family I was counseling about three or four years ago where a par an older parent had co-signed a mortgage for one child, and the other two siblings didn't even know about it, and then it came up, and uh, it, it gets messy. I mean, it, it, it gets messy, really. And so 
Um, there's no old saying I used to hear down south: uh, "Let every let every pot stand on its own bottom." <laughs> yeah, meaning uh, you know, pull your own wagon. <laughs> and it I is mean, wise. I'm talking yeah. with within families, parents yeah. and children, and certainly not for for a non-family member. But I don't even think it's wise within a family. It can be. It it will be a area of very big concern the whole time. I agree with you. And so, Alex, that's the first five verses dealing with that. But then it goes into laziness. And this is one of those well-known passages, and a lot of folks don't even know it's from the Bible. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, (laughs) which, having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Now, Alex, you remember that old story about the grasshopper? Was it the grasshopper and the ant? Uh, you know, and the ant. Tell me, I'm not familiar. Oh with man, that. yeah, the ant. Uh, they were ready for the winter, and when the winter came, the grasshopper had nothing to eat on. Uh, it had eaten all. You know, this is the way it does. Grasshoppers eat while they're living. They don't store up anything, but the ants store it up. And so here's yeah. the ant that is. It's not only not lazy, busy as an ant, but they also store up and uh, ready yeah. for the difficult times ahead. And so here it is, but I love that they seem to have, they have no captain or overseer or ruler. But I, I want to have a little fun here. They do have scout ants. Have you ever heard of Now, yes, I, I'm joking true. a little bit. I don't know how they do it. One ant. It's fascinating. Yeah, one ant will find some sugar somewhere, and before you know it, there's thousands or at least hundreds of ants there uh getting that up and uh so i always heard them called scout ants ants are yeah. do you yeah. know any have you heard that i i have and it really is fascinating uh and it speaks to the glory of god the creator but how even insects uh have order and structure and uh they can think uh, at least on some level and you know what bert um i i remember being at a family cookout probably 4th of July a, a couple of years ago, and watching several ants that were partnering up together to carry away uh, a, a crouton. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was seriously, yeah. and it was just amazing. But when I was a kid, my mother read this to me. And first of all, let me just say about verse 6. You know, we hear so much about the church has to, you know, walk on eggshells and don't offend anybody, make people feel accepted. God says, go to the ant, you sluggard. (laughs) Sluggard means lazy person. I'm glad that Scripture doesn't tiptoe around and worry about offending anybody. I mean, God (laughs) God calls sinners sinners, lazy people sluggards, because the Lord loves us enough to tell us the truth. But I will tell you, when I was a little boy and my mother would read me this, and she did, this verse, if if ever there was a verse, and it was years before I was even really born again, but it said, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come on you like a thief. And I want to tell you something, Bert. When I was a little boy, somehow or another, that picture got in my head. I, and, and you understand it, doesn't it? It really the, is the plain, Lord, isn't it? It's plain. Be be proactive, be industrious, don't be lazy. That's yeah. what God is saying. Amen. And so that's what it says. And so why, how does it translate in the church? How does it translate with family, even government? You do not aid the sluggard in that way. You try to give a hand up, but not a hand out. And uh, I know when I was pastoring, we found some jobs when people had come along and, quote, asking for help. And it was not, quote, immediate. Uh, We would say, you know, we've got some leaves outside that need to be raked. We've got this building that needs to be mopped. I realize it was manual labor. And uh, most of the time, the people would say, well, let me think about this. And they would go to the car and drive off. Uh, They were were not interested in working for what they needed. They wanted just a handout. And so government needs to look at the things that they do. Yes, our welfare system. Is it promoting laziness or is it promoting industry? And so, uh, yes, there's that balance. You're trying to help. You're trying to work. And, uh, I, I, again, I think it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God working in our lives to give us wisdom on knowing what to do, Alex. 
Amen. Amen. Well, 12 through 19 talk about the, the wickedness of uh, being dishonest with your words, winking with your eyes. In other words, trying to, let's say you're talking to a group, but you wink over there like, hey, you and I have a, a little agreement on the side here, something like that. Verse 14 talks about a perverse heart. And not only dishonest with words or manipulative in the way that you interact with people, but sowing discord. And it talks about uh, just calamity coming along. And uh, God doesn't like a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. But look at verse 18. A heart that devises wicked plans. Um, the Lord knows our hearts, and the Lord knows that we're supposed to be honest in our dealings with other people. We don't scheme or try to, um, you know, manipulate. But, Bert, um, it's just integrity. That's what the Lord expects of us, isn't it? Honesty, forthrightness, integrity. He does. Now, notice of these seven things, three have to do with the tongue. It made me think of the book of James. No man can tame it. It's through the power of of God in our lives, a lying tongue, there it is, a false witness who speaks lies, that's the lips, and one who sows discord among brethren, spreading lies and letting it go. I could not help but notice discord here in verse 14 and also verse 19. Uh, the, The discord is very important in a church. Be careful about what you say, what you would talk about. Don't sow discord accidentally, and be thoughtful before you speak. Have you heard God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, Alex? I've heard that. Maybe we're (laughs) supposed to do twice as much listening as as talking. Uh, But it goes on down there, and there's another admonition in verse 19 against sowing discord among brethren. Um, But then 20 and following, uh, there's a lot about morality and uh, warnings against adultery, immorality, because this is so important. And listen, uh, Bert, I want to say this, and I want your response. The Bible takes sin very seriously, and the warnings against sin, the prohibitions, because God knows how much damage it can do. We're talking about lives, families. uh, We're talking about the souls of people. Sin is a very, very dangerous thing. It is. In verse 27, uh, again, we, I want to go back to one or two things before this, but what you just said, verse 27 sets this up. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? This is talking about the immorality. Now, how does it work? Notice what it says in verse 24, flattering tongue. It looks her beauty, alluring with her eyelids, given that look, whatever that look might be. And so these do not be led down this trail of destruction because that's exactly what it is. And that's why uh, verse 20 says, keep your father's commandments and do not forsake the law of your mother. Now, I think God let this happen again. We see the family, um, a male and female, a mother and a father, not two males, not two females. No, a male and a female because the perspective would be a little bit different. I remember the warnings my dad would give would be consistent with my mother, but they would be uh, different enough that uh, it would, you know, come to my mind and understand that. So here are the warnings, the warnings, the commandments of the Father, and the forsaking the law of your mother. Listen, that's what you want in a family. That's what you want. That's why mom and dad are needed uh, so much. And so here's the bottle, the the model that the Bible gives. And it's for our benefit, verse 28. It says, can one walk on coals and his feet not be seared? Alex, mm, mm. Uh, you're going to pay if you step out of line there. And that's yes. the warning that uh, the Solomon is given very plainly, isn't it? Well, that's true. And the, these are rhetorical questions. You know, can a man take fire into his bosom and not get burned? And the answer is no. Can you walk on hot coals and not... Uh, get your feet seared? Uh, the answer is no, you know, and and it's talking about, so is he who goes into his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her shall not be innocent. Uh, it goes on, 
Uh, and it says in verse 30, people did not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Now, uh, it's one thing to try to save your own life, but just chasing after deliberate sin and disobedience. Uh, oh, listen, you, you might starve without food, but you're not going to die by living righteously. In fact, it talks about, in fact, back there in verse 23, it talks about God's commandments and reproofs and instructions are actually the way of life. Um, now, here's a, an understatement. Verse 32, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Uh, Bert, that's a very diplomatic way of saying it's very unwise. In fact, it's stupid. It's stupid. You know, that's a good yeah, word to use. Why would you do a dumb thing like exactly. destroy your life? Now, how do these work together? I know we can go on, but I want to make sure and tie this together, especially the laziness and the immorality. Give a biblical example. King David, it says when yeah. a time kings went to war, he stayed behind in his home. And that's when he went up on his rooftop, looked over into another man's house, and saw Bathsheba there, and he desired her. He had his kingly rights, and so he sent for her, and sin would follow, and sin would follow. Laziness, financial ruin, and immorality, they are not always separate. I want to say I think they're used looking from experience of living this life, of pastoring for over 40 years, uh, Alex, they, they run together if you're not careful. One leads yes. to the other. And so go back to what it said yesterday concerning morality. It said keep, keep your own cistern. Uh, in, yes. verse, in chapter 5, verse 15, drink water from your own cistern and run in water from your own well. Listen, your own money. Uh, look at your own job, do it, and and your own uh, promises that you made in marriage. Keep those vows, keep those commandments, and do not leave them. That's the instructions yeah. of Proverbs 6, isn't it? Well, it really is. And You know, I just wondered something, you know, in verse 30, uh, 34 there, it says, jealousy is a husband's fury. You know, if uh, a man were to cheat with a married woman, and it says just, there's no way to placate uh, uh, an enraged, jealous husband. Um, the church is the bride of Christ, and I think about those that have harmed the bride of Christ. I wonder if what the bridegroom Jesus is going to do one day when he deals with those that have harmed his bride. I want to tell you, we'll stand before him and he'll wipe away tears for those that are saved and then those that's made those that's bad. Hey, give us a phone call, 888-589-8840. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. Target is in the bullseye because of its transgender bathroom policy. A petition by the American Family Association to boycott Target now surpassing a million signatures and counting. People have their own beliefs and stuff, but what can it hurt? What can it hurt? What can it hurt? Can it, hurt? it hurts our daughters. It hurts you. It hurts our families. It hurts me. It hurts all of us. Sign the petition to boycott Target at AFA.net. And my father, your great-grandfather, fought in World War II. Really? He was a gunner on the big ship out in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Your great-grandmother did her part, too. Was she on a ship? Oh, no. She stayed back home. She and a lot of her friends worked really hard in a factory because the men had gone off to war. Ooh. And they held scrap metal drives to help in the war effort. The folks back home were heroes, too. Here at the American Family Association, we consider you the heroes back home. 
As you fulfill your responsibility of caring for your family day to day, your partnership with us is crucial as we fight the enemies of freedom in America. Thank you for your commitment to the American Family Association. Grandpa, what's a scrap metal drive? Let's get some cookies and I'll tell you all about it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The city lies four square, its length, width, and height all equal, 1,380 miles for each dimension. The city's wall is 216 feet high, 12 gates around the city, with each gate made of a single pearl. Streets of gold so pure, they're translucent. No need for a sun, God's glory lights the city. No tears, no pain. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Matthew 19, 14. American Family Radio. You're listening to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. You know, on Exploring the Word, Bert and I have such a good time in the Word of God, but also talking with all of the listeners across North America and even getting questions from people online just uh, around the world. Bert, you and I um, have gotten, I remember once we actually got an actual phone call from London, England, from a listener one time. By the way, that number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. We appreciate your calls and your Bible questions, and uh, we get so many questions, it's really a blessing. You and I, next week, we're going to do some recordings, some backup shows, and we'll try to work through the backlog of some questions that have come in online and, and such, won't we? It is, and usually one of us is traveling on Friday, but Fridays we've been able to do live programming and uh, Fire Away Fridays, so we haven't had one of our pre-records. So we're just going to go and answer those questions, and hopefully we'll be here every Friday live. But we may put that in on a day of the week other than Friday, and we'll see. But we're going to get to those questions and you get those, you, you do it at email at word at afa.net or on Facebook. And by the way, we're live streaming. If you want to not just hear us but see us, go to streaming.afa.net and you can see us. And uh, we hope that you will. Well, Alex, let's go to Texas for our first question of the day. Willem, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hi. Yes, go right ahead. Thank you for calling. Okay, so my question is um, <clears throat> regarding Exodus twenty-eight thirty-three, when it says, make pomegranates out of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, why, um, why pomegranates? Okay, uh, excellent question. Alex, uh, that's the first time we've had this. I know that now, but we've had a lot about the robe that they wear, and each one of them symbolize something, you know? And the bells mm. at the end, all of them have meaning. Pomegranates are fruit, right? Yeah, it, it is a fruit. And, you know, I have to confess I'm being a little bit speculative here. It's, it's funny, I was reading an article over the weekend about how they made paints and pigmentation in the in the ancient world, and uh, one of the very first colors they ever made was a dark red called ochre, O-C-H-E-R, I'm sorry, O-C-H-R-E. Bert, why pomegranates on the hem of the priestly garments, and then there's blue, purple, and scarlet all around the hem and bells of gold? Yeah, I don't know, other than maybe it was, it was a common way to make a pigmentation. The fact that it was a fruit, 
Um, I don't know if that's significant. I've just got to confess that I've never really pondered that before. Well, I, I did one time, and I thought of the fruitfulness. I could not help but think of of when they go into the promised land, they bring back the grapes and everything, and it's a, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, and a lot of that was fruit. And here you have on the robe the the fruit of God in the fruit of their labor, and it's at the hem where they're walking. And regardless of anything, I don't know for sure, but I'd still, uh, I can't help but think about it being fruitful uh, in every way, yeah. that the ministry of the priest, the high priest, was was fruitful in, in carrying out people and bringing people to the Lord. So, uh, again, Wilhelm, Wil- Willem, I'm not sure, and Alex or not, we we gave it some thought anyway, but we thank you for your good question. Let's stay in Texas and talk to Laura. Laura, welcome. Hey there. Bless you guys, and thank you for taking my call. Um, my question is a book that I've heard Alex respond to a couple of times. People will call with questions, and they have some very unbiblical ideas, and he falls back to this particular book that he would certainly not recommend called The God That We've Created. And um, it's not something I would have had any interest in, except that I have a family member who I've prayed for for a number of years, and our relationship has gained strength in such that we can discuss ideas and and have, um, I think, a, a very positive effect on each other. And she has now recommended that very book to me. So, First, I have to say I'm thankful that the Lord has given me a warning by listening to your show. Um, And I'm curious if there would be a book you might recommend for me or for her um, to help me as the conversations will come. Uh, Great question. Now, are you talking about whether or not God exists, or are you talking about, like, um, the trustworthiness of the Bible? Um, Kind of what what is the, the... the basic point of the conversation you're having with them? Well, this, she, she definitely claims to believe, um, but her, her beliefs would, in many cases, the conversation leads me to believe that they're not really Christian. And now what she's recommending to me is to read that book. She's wanting me to read that book. And, um, I haven't made any decision. I wanted your thoughts. I, I, want, I know that, number one, what I want to read most is the Bible. But I also know right. that while all the answers are there, I don't know where to find them all. Um, and so I'm just curious uh, if I were looking at a book that would refute the things that you would disagree with in that particular book or something that would give me strength in my conversation. You know, uh, well, ask God my bless you. Amen, Laura. Uh, God, God bless you. L- let me say this, and and I want to give a couple of of resources. And uh, at the, I don't want to sound like I'm just promoting my own stuff, but I, I wrote a book called "The God You Thought You Knew," and the subtitle is "Exposing Ten Common Myths About Christianity." And we talk about how the the God of the Bible is the the true and living God. And then we talk about the Bible itself being trustworthy, and then who is Jesus, and how do we really know Jesus? And so I would recommend my my own book, The God You Thought You Knew, Exposing Ten Common Myths. It was published by Bethany House. You'll recognize it's got kind of an orange and white cover, but there are so many great studies out there. And Bert, let me also recommend, because I don't want to just kind of harp on my own things, but even... um, Books like Chuck Colson's book on um, uh, how shall we now live, you know, which is kind of an intro to biblical worldview. I think about uh, the Truth Project that I had the privilege of working on some years ago. But um, if you, if you, Bert, let me ask you this: Do you know, in terms of like a a Bible study curriculum or even a ladies' Bible study that deals with kind of these big issues of the gospel. Do you know one that you would recommend? Well, I, I just know this. Uh, Tony Evans' daughter has a book. I cannot remember the Bible study, but it is awesome. Uh, I'm having Kingdom heart- Woman. Yeah, is I it, think is that that's it? it. I think that is it. Let me tell you this, Law. If, if, if you're grounded in the Word of God, you can read books like that and pick it apart. 
You can. I mean, I have. I had to. When I was in college, I had to read books that were contrary. And so our professor would help us to look at that and say, do you see it? And it really Mm -hmm. equipped me. But I want to tell you her, if she's going to ask you to read a book, get Alex's book that he's recommended and tell her, I'll read your book if you'll read this book. And, 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 and Bert, let me tell you what I want to do. Yeah. If we can get Laura's address, I'm going to have uh, my secretary put a, a copy in the mail. Laura, if, if you can give, and we won't share this with anybody, we never do, we never give away anybody's contact info, but I'll, I'll send you a copy of my book, The God You Thought You Knew, Exposing Ten Common Myths About Christianity, and uh, that might be a good conversation starter. And, Laura, thank you for calling. By the way, we, we think we can get on two or three more calls, and we've got some uh, lines open, and that number is 888-589-8840. So, Laura, uh, we're trying to get your number, so he's getting it now, so we appreciate that. Our next caller, man, we're doing Texas today, uh, right. and I hope I get this right. Is it Tava? Tiva or Tava? Uh, Tava, yes, sir. Tava. Okay, Tava. Thank you for calling today. Uh, yes, I love you guys. I just, um, so in my reading of the Bible, I have just tried to um, try to understand. I like the history of it. So um, Adam and Eve, of course, Cain and Abel, Cain gets uh, the mark, um, and then it goes on about his lineage for just a little bit. And so what I'm wanting to know is where what happens with the rest of his lineage. You never hear, I didn't notice anywhere in the Bible where it says anything else about his lineage. And I'm just wondering where that might be. And that's that's it. Okay, well, thank you for calling. We appreciate it. Alex, We you can take the lineage so far, you can take it up to Noah, and it all ends there no yeah. matter what. That is the case. Is that the case with Cain's lineage, or is it, does you know, it end earlier than that? Cain had a son named Enoch, didn't he, Bert? And uh, it goes up to um, the Noah. And as I've read, they they believe Cain's lineage became part of the the men of Seth. Uh, but it do, I don't think it really says for sure. But I think it's a fair bet of the three sons of Noah that you know repopulated the earth after the flood. Uh, very probably the lineage of Cain. Uh, perpetuated itself through the line of Seth. And that's what it seems like. And again, what the Bible does sometimes, and and you need to know this, especially even in the lineage of the New Testament, that once it's broke in 14, 14, and 14, is that Matthew's or Luke's? I'm trying to remember that goes back. I think that's Luke's, that it's broken down into 14 segments, you know? Isn't that something? Yeah, it is. And so the lineage is so important. Well, listen, we're trying to get a call in, but I've got one for you, Alex, that was was called in from us, and, and I think it's good. Uh, if God knows the future and he doesn't want anyone to perish and he knew the uh, paths that we were taking, uh, is it is, – is, is that hard to understand? Uh, why would yeah. God make us in the first place if he knew that – Oh, why is the gate that leads to destruction? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, when it comes to people being saved, some people say, well, you know, why didn't God make us where we couldn't sin? Or why didn't God make us where we couldn't refuse the gospel? Or if God knew the free choice people would make, and he knew some that wouldn't believe, uh, let's just say God didn't make them. Well, here's the thing. Uh, God's created a world where um, it is possible for us, the redeemed, the saved, to have a legitimate relationship with God. See, God is showing love, God is showing grace, but God is also demonstrating his holiness and his sovereignty. And life is not a game. Life is a very serious thing. But C.S. Lewis once said, if, if you have a game— and it's possible to win, it must also be possible to lose. Believe it or not, for there to be a holy, sovereign God, and yet for humans to be truly human, uh, and for there to be salvation, there's also lostness. And the world is the way it is. I'm going to say this. I know we've got another call. The world is the way it is. It's because it's the only way the world could be. I mean, 
what we're asking is for something less than God, and we're asking for us to be something less than human. And the way things are yeah, is it, the way it has to be. It is. And if we love God, that God desires the praise, and he desires love. And we can love him by coming to know him. But that, uh, if he made us any other way, that love would not be pure love. It would just be an attraction or automatic. It's not automatic. No, we, we come to the place where we choose God. Let's go to Arkansas. Cody, welcome. Thank you. I uh, I just lost my great-grandmother recently, and I'm really suffering with the grief of it. I'm having outbursts of anger in areas other than the grief. You know, I'm disassociating the anger in a way, and, and I keep trying. My mind keeps going to other things as a distraction, and I know I need to focus on God, and I'm just asking you guys if you will just pray for me because I think others will be blessed by such prayer. Okay, mm-hmm. Cody. We will, but let me give you some thoughts. We're in Proverbs. Start reading Proverbs. I, I just want to tell you, when you have those issues of outburst of anger and you have questions, reading the book of Proverbs, and then along with that, read some Psalms. Alex, I found out reading Proverbs, one proverb a day, and two or three Psalms, uh, some people read five according to how long they are. It really speaks God speaking to us, but many times we're speaking to God. It really does make a difference reading Proverbs and Psalms, doesn't it? Uh, that's true. And, you know, James one twenty says that man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Very often, uh, maybe it's your emotions and maybe it's Satan trying to get you at a very vulnerable point, but uh, anger can cause us to do so many so many detrimental things. So we, we will be praying. That was Cody, right? It was Cody. Hey, Alex, uh, Sarah from Virginia is saying, what is the significance of having your hand placed under the thigh? That's a promise that was being made. You know, uh, they would do mm-hmm. that to Abraham before he went. Do you know the significance of that that we can answer in about 30 seconds? Well, you know, um, that's another one of those customs when they would ratify a covenant or when they would make a promise. You know, Bert, there was a salt covenant, there was a shoe covenant, and it, it does sound kind of unusual to us, but, you know, legs speak of mobility and the inner thigh really speaks about life. What it was signifying was, uh, I'm promising on my life with you about this. It's un- unusual to our modern uh thoughts today, but that was one of the ways they tried to uh, solidify a promise. It was, and, and that's a true with, a, oh, that's why the Old Testament is is important to the New Testament. Uh, you don't yes. exclude one for the other. It is both. Sarah, thank you for that call, and we appreciate, we hope that helps. Alex, we'll be back tomorrow. It's Proverbs 7, and uh, yes. I don't think there's any let up in Proverbs, is there? No, no, we're going to get right to Proverbs 7. Maybe read ahead, be with us. Hey, do something. Tell somebody about the great programming of American Family Radio and Exploring the Word. But most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.